Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business. Always love having you on the program. Jacob Bogage with the Washington Post. Any long-term listener of the show knows, first of all, I love my series I've been doing with the Post. It's one of my favorites, and we do a lot of series on this show. Uh, but every week, I love my time with the Post. And in particular, don't tell any of the other reporters, Jacob, but I really love my time with you. I mean, we engage well. We have a lot of fun. You bring so much to every conversation. And what you share is so accessible, which is a lot like your writing style. So uh, I'm a fan. You know that. That's why I keep asking for you by name. Uh, glad to well, have you back on. that means a lot. That means a lot. Thank you so much. And don't worry, I won't tell anyone, and I hope your listeners uh, <laughs> choose the right people to tell and not to tell. <laughs> yeah, if you got a bunch of friends at the post, don't get on the phone and start calling it. That that'll be problematic. Because uh, I enjoy all my interviews, but you know I'm I'm human. I like I enjoy some more than others, and I enjoy you a lot. So it's great. So it seems like you know we've talked about this before. It, it seems like a soap opera, not a particularly pleasant one. Uh, but the house is in a, a state of uh, throwing us into fiscal chaos again. Seems to be their favorite pastime. Um, you know, in lieu of actually doing governing, which is what they were elected to do, they find so many other things to do. And I say they, I'm particularly talking about uh, a large portion of the uh, House GOP. It's, it's really incredible. And, of course, this week uh, you wrote about it, and we're going to have a link to that article. It's a great article, article very informative. Um, but it's very dynamic. I can't recall. Did they have this meeting? Talk about this meeting that they had where we got it assurances from Speaker Johnson that uh, don't look very uh, promising to me, but what was your take? So there was this meeting last Friday, this, this conference call where, where Speaker Mike Johnson gets on the phone with this Republican conference and he says, don't expect any grand slams or home runs in this bill for us, but there's plenty of singles and doubles we can be proud of. And that didn't go over great. Um, and, and, to one extent, you can't fault someone for trying to set expectations, uh, but the expectations that he needed to clear were already, uh, depending on who you ask, they were either very high and he was expected to clear them, or they were very low and he was expected to clear them. And both groups came away from that call going, we're not going to get anything we want. Singles and doubles are meaningless. I can't, you know, even though... Let's be honest, singles and doubles can get people in from scoring position if you're a baseball geek. But, you know, they, they, there was – the expectations are very low. Those have – the vibes have only gotten worse over the course of the week because the speaker has not told anyone what the singles and doubles are. So you have a lot of lawmakers with really low expectations, uh, disappointed already, and now kind of wildly speculating – that their priorities are not going to get turned into law. Um, and, and I think you're absolutely right to call this a soap opera because one of the hallmarks of a soap opera is that the same plot keeps happening over and over again. This is our third uh, continuing resolution just to, to avoid a government shutdown since September 30th. Uh, and we're going to do it again. If this CR passes, we're going to do this whole song and dance again uh, next week, and then we're going to do this whole song and dance again uh, by March 22nd. This is, is yes. uh, you know, it, it is the, the gift that keeps on giving because we, we get to keep coming on uh, the show and talking about how, how this hasn't moved very much. Yeah, and what it gets to 
is to the Democrats who really have incredible ammunition using the argument that the Republican Party is a do-nothing party. And I think these recurring issues, any, again, you know me, uh, Jacob, I'm, I consider myself right of center with a libertarian streak. That's kind of how I look at, at the world. Um, and so I'm no, I'm no progressive. I got involved in politics, if you show my age, as a regional coordinator, uh, as, a, as a college student, and students for Reagan. Uh, and so my conservative roots are pretty deep. Uh, I'm a pragmatic conservative, but conservative nonetheless. These guys aren't conservative. They're actually anarchists. And uh, <laughs> it's totalitarian anarchists. Not sure how that works, but, but that's what they've evolved to. And uh, this party, uh, what they do is they do these, these dramas that extend for months at a time, uh, and, and it takes so much time to get nothing done as an elaborate form of appearing of doing something, but they do nothing at all. I look at, you know, at um, Jim Gordon from Ohio, who was uh, one of the first to stand for uh, the speaker uh, after McCarthy left, and McCarthy talked about what a wonderful legislator he was. In 16 years, 16 years in Congress, he didn't get a single bill passed with his name on it. What do they they use as a criteria for legislator? I mean, I'm mind-boggled by this. And so what they're doing is they, you know, they've already now in the process of handing the the illegal, uh, you know, immigration issue to the Democrats because they showed up in Republicans' world, and they continuously add this. I mean, these guys seem to be very unaware of political realities with their, what, one-vote margin? Am I right on that in the House? Two-vote margin, and you bring up such a great great point. And I want to connect both sides of the Capitol for you and your listeners real quick. Yesterday, Mitch McConnell stood on the floor of the Senate and said he would not seek another term as Republican leader, the longest-serving Senate leader in the institution's history. And in, in that speech, he said, I am a Reagan Republican. Ronald Reagan means so much to me. He and his wife, former Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao, were married on Ronald Reagan's birthday. They love Ronald Reagan so much. And he said, my party has changed. And if there's one thing I'm I'm good at, it is seeing the shifting politics in my own beloved Republican Party. And it is time for a new generation of leadership. Now, that new generation of leadership is going to go from the 82-year-old McConnell, likely to someone in their 60s and 70s. So let's pump the brakes on new generation a little bit. But it is a new vantage point. In the House, the vantage point is so far to the right that it, it, in many cases, defies the idea of governing as a conservative. And it's just conservatism for conservatism's sake. It doesn't really get anything done. I think the best visage of that is the spending debates. The House Republicans, if they really wanted, they are so gung-ho about cutting spending. You know what they have not done? Cut spending. Uh, And this CR is not going to cut spending. And uh, the appropriations bills that they're going to pass are going to be in line with the deal that uh, Kevin McCarthy, the former speaker, and President Biden made last spring on the debt limit deal. So they're not going to cut spending below that gap. And and that's actually, you know, that deal is a pretty modest cut. Um, And they, with a two seat majority, uh, that is actually a functional minority because their whip operation is so poor. 
uh, they have very little leverage. And so they, they go into these conversations. I mean, with Democrats, this deal came together because the House Republicans were facing down a government shutdown that they 100% would own the political blame for. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, someone came to their senses and said, all of these demands that we have, it's time to drop them because we can't swallow this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and while we were talking about how, how weak that majority is, uh, besides the math already showing that, uh, not only do they have such a dysfunctional whip system, uh, I think they think it has something to do with baking, you know, like, like miracle, uh, I'm sorry, uh, I'm getting ridiculous, <laughs> but uh, uh, they, they also have a vice president who's the president of the Senate who uh, votes on tie-breaking votes. I mean, this is, you know, incredible. Uh, of course, I'm talking about the Senate now, uh, you know, because that also seems to be a, a narrow margin. But the House is so dysfunctional, um, you know, when they talk about it, it's like an institution that needs to be institutionalized. Well, let's contrast the House and the Senate. I think that's a great point you make about Vice President Harris and the role that she plays in the Senate. But everything that, because of the nature of the filibuster, Everything that comes out of the Senate has to have Republican support. It has absolutely moderated the uh, desires of the White House and uh, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. And yet you have seen substantial legislation in this Congress come out of the Senate, including, and I think probably most importantly, funding for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan that passed earlier this month. And it didn't pass, but there was a bipartisan border security bill that came out of the Senate that the House immediately rejected because Donald Trump rejected it. And there are Senate Republicans who will very quietly or privately tell reporters like me, I actually kind of like that bill. Maybe we ought to bring it back. There is the Senate for, for as this is not the most functional Senate in American history, but the relationship between Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell uh, has really thawed in recent weeks. You can see it in their interpersonal relationships on the floor. You can see it in the way the chamber's legislating, and you can kind of see it in their kind of mutual disdain uh, for not just Donald Trump, but the Trump movement that is alive in the House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you got uh, several senators that we expected more. That was the advantage of being in a Senate, right? Six years rather than two. They could be more deliberate. They could be more mature. They didn't have to be so reactionary. Yeah, someone needs to send a memo to uh, Ted Cruz. I mean, <laughs> I just uh, he, he really would fit in much better in the House, which surprises me when you look at his academic background, his credentials. He's absolutely brilliant. He's been on my show several times back when I thought he was normal. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I'm just shocked by, uh, you know, several, fortunately it's not like the house where it's the vast majority of the GOP, um, but, but several of these senators who behave a lot like their house colleagues that probably should, should go back to middle school, which is how I kind of look at the, the GOP house. I want to illustrate the rift for you and your listeners from the, Senate perspective of kind of the Mitch McConnell establishment wing of the Senate and the Trump wing of the Senate, which is the Ted Cruz's, the Josh Hawley's, the J.D. Vance's. Uh, 
when Mitch McConnell announces he's going to retire tomorrow, it, he does it by, by leaking the story to the Associated Press. About 10 minutes before he walks onto the Senate floor, he had not told many, many senators. I mean, he kept this very close to the best. And so there were maybe 15, 16 senators on the floor uh, during this momentous and historic occasion. Um, senators, you know, who, and, and, and many of the senators found out as this news broke on the AP wire and on social media. Um, and so you saw as McConnell spoke and that news kind of filtered out, members coming to the floor as he was speaking. And then you saw different people and you could tell the people in his circle and whom he trusted coming up to him afterward to shake his hand or to give him a hug. You saw Susan Collins, John Thune, Lindsey Graham, Susan Murkowski. Uh, it, it was a really, um, Kirsten Cinema was on the Senate floor. She looked like she knew what was happening. I mean, there was this very um, interesting illustration of who McConnell has built relationships with, and the Trump wing of the party was not there. Ted Cruz yeah. was on the floor. Ted Cruz did not go over to shake Mitch McConnell's hand. The, the very next person to speak after McConnell was Susan Collins, who gave this impromptu, thank you, Mr. Leader, brief remarks. Then Tommy Tuberville from Alabama, who did not acknowledge what had happened immediately before he started speaking. So this rift was on very clear display. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tuberville reminds me of that. Uh, you know, they used to have a joke about Gerald Ford, you know, that he was a great, famous Michigan football player. By the way, I love Michigan football. Go blue. But they said apparently he played a lot of football without a helmet. I got a feeling Coverville might have had a similar history. Uh, that guy doesn't never seems like he's quite there. Uh, yeah, it, it, it does clearly show. And didn't, uh, didn't uh, Cruz announce just a few weeks ago that it was time for McConnell to go, that McConnell needed to resign as uh, majority leader? I mean, it's that hostile. No wonder why, you know, uh, there was not much left shown. Yeah, it, it, this will be very interesting to see. And I know we're, we're, we're supposed to talk government shutdown, but I think it's hard to talk about a government shutdown without uh, teasing out these rifts in the Republican movement and the conservative movement. Um, yeah. it, it, it will be very interesting. You know, the leading candidates to replace Mitch McConnell are John Thune, his chief deputy, who stands maybe a pace or two to McConnell's right. Uh, John Cornyn, who is arguably the best deal maker in the Senate right now um, and has worked on border legislation. He was part of the gang of eight. He did uh, the last substantial gun control bill to pass the Senate. I mean, he's, he has a long history and he's been in leadership. And then John Barrasso, who is way to the right, but is the number three uh, leader in the Senate Republican Party. Um, and those are the three leading candidates to succeed him. Uh, you also have to look at who the leading candidate, who, who the new members of the Senate Republican caucus have been, and that's Josh Hawley and Eric Schmidt and J.D. Vance, um, folks who come from the far right of the party, and look who Senate Republicans are putting up to compete with Democrats uh, in, in the 24 elections. Kari Lake in Arizona, way, way, way to the right. <laughs> Bernie, Moreno, Bernie, yeah, Bernie Moreno in Ohio, 
who's part of the Trump wing, Tim Sheehy in Montana, who's part of the Trump wing. They make Larry Hogan in Maryland look like a fish out of water. Um, and Larry yeah. Hogan's a pretty conservative guy. So he is really conservative is, by Maryland standards. I know I, I lived in Maryland when I worked on Capitol Hill. He's really conservative by those standards. Yeah, I mean, so this will be, you know, if the Republicans do take back the Senate and there's a Republican majority leader, it will very clearly be decided by the candidates that carried them to the majority. Remember, uh, in 2022, after the midterms, uh, when Democrats somehow held on to the Senate, Rick Scott challenged McConnell for majority leader and was laughed out of the room. Uh, yeah. Because that wing didn't have the same kind of authority, and no one was going to challenge Mitch McConnell, this legendary lion of the Senate. Um, now his legacy is going to be challenged. Absolutely. Yeah, in normal times, you know, conservatives would get maybe coalesce around someone like Lanford from Oklahoma, right? Very serious conservative. Uh, certainly the most serious legislator of the more ex extreme wing. He's not wacko by any measure. But no, now, you know, he is poisoned because of the fact that he actually created, supported, rather, as part of a viable plan to take serious reform on the border. You know, and so uh, he, he wouldn't even begin to be considered. And it goes back to my point as we wrap it, wrap it up, and I'm going to ask you to do a little crystal, crystal balling here in just a moment. But I don't think either party or substantial wings, I'm sorry, I don't believe that substantial wings of either the House or the Senate Republicans are serious about legislating. I think they believe they are uh, or hired or elected to be perpetual protesters. They don't really want to get things done. And they went from a historic anti-big government uh, group, uh, which was what it was like when I was involved in the, in the party, to an anti-government group. And it's disgusting. That's just my final thought. I'd like to get your crystal ball on what do you think is going to happen with this uh, CR. Uh, the House will vote on it this afternoon. I expect it to pass. Uh, they're going to have to do it through suspension, so that means it needs a two-thirds majority to pass. What I'm very interested in watching is if the House Republicans, if it wins a majority of House Republicans, Democrats will vote for it. I don't know if a majority of House Republicans will. Um, and then, in theory, the Senate should be able to vote on it today as well. We might be here until 9 or 10 p.m., but the Senate should be able to vote for it today as well. And then uh, we should get bill text for, you know, about half the federal government uh, over the weekend to fund half the federal government. Uh, and let's keep a really close eye on that to see if any of these Republican priorities uh, the doubles and singles that, that Mike Johnson talked about last week, if, if any of those really end up in this bill text. Yeah, and part of Johnson's problem is he's so incredibly inauthentic. He's, you know, playing a role that he never played before he became Speaker of the House. He was a quiet disruptor, kind of an under-the-radar screen, and likable disruptor. But he, there, there's very little difference. This is a guy who believes in election fraud when it came to Trump, uh, he voted it against certifying the vote. So this guy's as extreme as any of them. And I, I, honestly, even in light of the fact that politicians seem to have a low threshold of sincerity when it comes to, you know, authenticity, I mean, he's even bad by politician standards. So it's hard to watch. Uh, this is the one good side is that, 
their ridiculous behavior is forcing bipartisanship to get things done like we hadn't seen before. But a lot of these Republicans that are crucial in joining Democrats to get it done in the House, if you will look, Jacob, they're saying bye-bye. This is their last term. I'm telling you, I only see it getting worse. Well, I'll tell you the other good side is that I get to come back and talk with you, and we'll do this all again next week. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to tell Kathleen, your person, uh, to, to let's do it. We're going to do a part two. And I'm sorry for going so long. I, I get carried away whenever you're on. Thanks so much, man. No, we have such a good time. I'm so glad to be back on the show with you. Always. Jacob Bogues, he's awesome. He's with the Washington Post. And I am Kevin Price. This is the Price of Business. <laughs>